coming to you live from that place where that guy does that thing with that dog, it's the Dockabers Podcast. Episode 118, Harry Potter and the Buggering Broomstick. In this episode, we've got RPG Prompts, Part 4 of our Hex Crawl, and Confessions of a Time Traveler. And now, let's get things started. Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Doc Cross, and I'm going to keep the intro short tonight because, well, I'm running up against my deadline. It's a little after 11 o'clock, and I have to get this thing up on Patreon by a little after midnight, so I'm just going to tell you that A, I'm glad you're listening, B, I'm still living in a house without any central heating and air because we figure it's going to cost a lot of money to get it fixed, and we're putting it off as long as we can. Our space heaters are doing well, so we're not freezing to death. And of course, the final thing I want to tell you is that my wonderful, wonderful patrons are still sending me money, and if you want to join them, I'll tell you how at the very end of the show. But right now, thank you, Avis. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Jame. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, David. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kevin, and thank you, Peter. You guys are wonderful, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, Jen listeners, it's time for our next segment, and that is RPG prompts. And today our prompts are drink, hot, and spice. So drinking, or drink, is a very common thing, especially in fantasy games. People are always at taverns and pubs and drinking wine out of their water skins or whatever. So there's a lot of drinking going on in fantasy games. But what about the booze itself? Now, over the years, many GMs have made, especially ale, the focus of the game, or at least the session. Somebody is bringing a big bunch of ale from point A to point B, And it's really good stuff, and it's really popular, and it's really expensive. So your group of murder hobos has been assigned to protect it, or you've been hired to, or whatever the deal is. And you're protecting this wagon load of beer and ale and wine or whatever you're protecting, and it's going to the king or the big city or whatever. And, of course, hilarity ensues with, oh, bandits and dragons and who knows what else in a more modern game say a pulp game you could be investigating something is going on with booze if it's during prohibition you're possibly trying to bust a group of bootleggers if it's after prohibition you could be helping honest guys get their bars back up and going with the end of Prohibition, the mob was taking over bars and things because they'd been running speakeasies, so they didn't want to lose that money. You could have the booze actually be the driving thing in the game. It could be what's causing shit to happen. What if some evil mastermind has tainted a popular brand of beer so that every fourth person who drinks it turns into a werewolf? or goes crazy, or goes into a coma, and his family has to pay the evil mastermind thousands of dollars to bring them out of the coma. 
you could have drink be a problem. In Call of Cthulhu, uh, one of the problems that happen when people start to go crazy is they start to become alcoholics. This could happen in other games, of course. And in a more modern game, you might just be drinking because it's time for, you know, a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. You could have the drinks be magical. A lot of that in fantasy. You could have the drinks be some sort of weird alien drink, not necessarily alcohol. Maybe it has some other narcotic effect, but there you go. You're drinking something that's the equivalent of eating a handful of cannabis edibles. You, know, you drink this stuff and it doesn't have any alcohol in it, so you're like, well, okay, I'm going to drink this all night. I won't get stoned. And then pretty soon you are stoned or poisoned or whatever, uh, which is actually why you get drunk because you're suffering alcohol poisoning. So, yeah, drink and drinking can and is a part of a lot of role-playing games. And that's something a GM can play with and do things with. And, you know, you can suddenly tell your barbarian or your paladin or your whoever, hey, guess what? You've been drinking a lot lately. You're an alcoholic. It's going to affect you. You could, you know, just tell them, yep, you're in a town where there's no, no booze. It's a dry town. They prohibited alcohol. And I can guarantee your player characters are probably going to leave that town pretty quick. But yeah, drink. It's something that's always there, and it's something we ought to mess with more often. The next RPG prompt is hot. As a born and bred native of the California Central Valley, I know a lot about hot. It gets damned hot here in the summer. We have low humidity, but still very hot. And then, of course, there's the fact that, oh, about the entire lower third of our state is a friggin' desert. And, yeah, people know about hot. People in Arizona sure as hell know about hot. People in Nevada, you know, people in any place where it gets hot know about hot weather. The thing is, in your games, hot can mean other things. You can have things be hot because they're stolen. That's the slang term for something that's stolen, stolen goods, it's hot. You got to get rid of it. It's a hot painting. It's a hot uh, car. A lot of hot cars out there. And that could be the clue that you're looking for is, ah, you know, that uh, that car you were looking for, that special car, the one that can fly and stuff, ah, that's a hot number and it's being passed around. Nobody knows quite what to do with it. So then you're looking around for chop shops and places like that where your flying car might be. You can have hot be the result of a spell. There are a lot of spells that heat things up. Things like a fireball heat things up really fast. But you could have a spell that a wizard casts on somebody that makes them get progressively hotter as the day goes on, regardless of the heat. It could be freezing cold outside, but this guy's getting hotter. He's getting sweaty. He wants to take off his clothes. He's like, whoa, man, I'm cooking here. And everybody else is like, you're crazy. You know, we, we've got these parkas and stuff on, and we still aren't warm enough. You could have hot be a particular place that you've got to go to. Like, oh, I don't know, hell, or inside a volcano, 
or into a dragon's lair where the dragon likes it very, very, very warm. So your party, rather than walking into some big, cool, comfortable underground cavern like they do 99.99% of the time in role-playing games, fantasy role-playing games anyway, D&D specifically, maybe as they're going down through these caverns towards where the dragon lives, it's getting hotter. Which, by the way, is what happens once you reach a certain point underground. It starts to get hotter. So they're going down into this cavern, and after they get about halfway, everybody wearing armor is uncomfortable. By the time they get three-quarters of the way, everybody wearing armor is damned uncomfortable and pushing heat stroke, and they come to the realization that if they don't have some sort of potion or spell to cool them off, they're going to have to take off their armor. The people in leather armor, same thing. Anybody who's ever worn black leather jacket in a California summer can tell you it gets damned hot after a little while. So, yep, hot, just like cold, is a thing that happens through the weather or spells or mad scientist rays or whatever. And it's something we need to deal with and include or maybe not include so much, depending on how you run your game in our role-playing games. Our final prompt is spice. Now, spice is you know a thing we use every day in cooking and whatnot, or at least most people do. And spice, of course, can be a powerful economic factor. You know, it really helped uh, Europe out when they made their way to the Far East and found all the spices they didn't have before. And suddenly there was a booming trade in spices. I mean, you had a little bit of this or that was worth more than its weight in gold. So spices, yeah, they're worth a lot of money. But what if the spices are what you need for a spell? Or what if the evil mastermind has his secret lair Underground, but above it, is a spice plantation of some sort. Maybe it's here in the United States. Could be somebody growing mint. There are places up in Northern California and Southern Oregon where they grow huge fields of peppermint and spearmint and various sorts of mint, which are then taken in, processed down, and the oil from that, peppermint oil especially, is used in about 8 million different ingredients. Your mouthwash, your toothpaste, your bubblegum, Stuff like that. Same thing could be going on. Could be a plantation raising basil or oregano or whatever. And your mad scientist is underground there. Or maybe the spice itself is what you need because it does something. Maybe you found out that only powdered, uh, oh, I don't know, powdered bay leaves stop this particular kind of vampire. Or maybe, instead of wolfbane, maybe this werewolf is stopped by hot chili pepper powder. So you got to get some, you know, ghost peppers and dry them up, grind them down, powder them, and then get that in his face. But hopefully not in your face. Although I could see ghost pepper powder stopping, you know, like a dragon. That's some pretty powerful shit. Uh, spice could be spicing up your game. 
not with actual spices, but making it a little spicy. Maybe uh, you put in a particularly hot dame in a pulp game, or maybe a beautiful semi-clothed princess or sorceress or something in your fantasy game. Or, of course, in your modern game, if you're running a spy game, you're liable to have sexy agents from some other country or even sexy agents of your own. Maybe you actually decide to spice up a game by actually having characters get into a romantic situation and from there into a spicy situation. Now, spicy does not mean outright sexual. You don't have to describe it, but it's spicy because she's flirting, he's flirting, and you dim the lights and move on to the next scene. So spice and spiciness are things to consider for your game. Uh, either one can add something to it, and that's uh, something we ought to look into. And that is our RPG prompts for this time. Alrighty, folks, we are now going on to Confessions of a Time Traveler, in which I talk about misadventures in space, time, and other dimensions. And today's episode is titled, Scum and Villainy and Me. As you may have guessed from the title, this confession is about politics and my meddling therein. Not all of my messing was aimed at creating new timelines. Some of it was just that old time travel situation where you find yourself in a circumstance where you are actually responsible for our history going according to plan. This is not always something you want to have happen, it's just what happens. The best example of that was when I accidentally used the term national parks during a conversation with Teddy Roosevelt several years before he was elected president. I also may have not done my best at warning Julius Caesar about his impending death. You win, you lose. Most of the times when I've gone into our past, it has been with the express intent of spinning off new universes. It's fun, and it gives others a timeline without the same scum and villainy we know. A great example is the several times I managed to get J. Edgar Hoover out of the FBI by about 1940 or so. I usually neutralized him into just stepping down, but a few times my dislike for the blackmailing little son of a bitch caused me to frame him for crimes ranging from embezzlement to first-degree murder. Getting rid of Hoover often has some interesting cascade effects. In particular, it spells bad news for the Mafia, since Hoover's refusal to admit they even existed slowed efforts to take organized crime down. But if you have old Eddie G. go to the joint on murder charges, or even just resign because he was embezzling, the FBI suddenly starts to distance itself from him and the things he promoted. The result is a whole lot less mob. Another effect is improving race relations because the clan gets infiltrated earlier and better. Oh, and another really great effect? Ronald Reagan either stays a Democrat or becomes a much less influential Republican. Speaking of Ronnie Reagan, I have clipped his political wings dozens of times. Of course, I've also had him be very successful as a liberal Democrat. In fact, he was the best Democratic president since FDR, and maybe even more popular. I don't know. He was certainly the most popular governor of California until Kamala Harris came along. 
Communism is fun to stamp out, but also pretty easy if you just waste Marx and Lenin early on. Or maybe convince them to immigrate to the USA and become pig farmers, which I did. In China, the skilled use of a neuralizer caused a huge wave of pro-American democracy to get rid of the previous infant communist government. Moving over to England, you may or may not be surprised at the changes that happen if you make Queen Victoria less of an empire builder and more of a suffragette. It also helps to not let Prince Albert die until the last year or two of Queen's life. That way, she's still got the man she loves. Naturally, you can affect huge changes by preventing Lincoln or Kennedy, or even Bobby Kennedy, or for that matter, Martin Luther King, from getting assassinated, or by having Tricky Dick Nixon not run for president in 1968, or having him actually get impeached and found guilty when he did become president, or by having that happen and he goes to jail. It's all good times. I'm sure some of you wonder about new timelines where the current orange pinhead is not president. I'd love to tell you exciting stories about the many ways I prevented that, but the fact is I just went back several generations and made his ancestors never leave Germany. Ever. And just for good measure, I kept his mom in Scotland, too. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to go visit the Founding Fathers with a much more detailed constitution in one hand and a neuralizer in the other. As we've been doing for a few weeks now, we move on to our hex crawl. And this, of course, does not actually have hexes. I didn't make a hex map, but you get a little picture every week, and uh, you can stick it in a hex somewhere on your own map or a map you get somewhere. So by now, your intrepid PCs have been chasing this escaped criminal, escaped wizard, through three hexes, and now they come to the fourth hex. And this hex is a couple of days north of the area that was ruled by the trolls that are fighting all the time. This is an Asian sort of country. It's not really huge. It's a bit bigger than the map shows, but it's not huge. Got a lot of small towns. Got one reasonably good-sized city. And the trail they follow by asking people if they've seen this guy, by looking for signs, tracking him, however they do it. It leads right to the city. So when they go to the city, they're going to question people, and people are going to tell them to go to somebody higher up, and then higher up, and finally they'll get to somebody, I don't know, royalty, captain of the guard, who knows. But that person is going to tell them, yeah, he came here, he asked us some questions, they didn't seem too out of line, they were, you know, he was looking for spiritual enlightenment, and he'd heard there was a temple, and these folks at the temple knew all sorts of things, and he'd like to go, and we told him, sure, head east out of town, up into the hills, near our border, you'll see the great big temple, you can't miss it. And of course, on the map here, it's right off to the side, it's got red roof, that's the temple. When your NPCs go to the temple, they find out that, yeah, the guy was here a few days ago, and he asked a lot of questions, but he always kept bringing it around to finding certain crystals. And we told him, oh, yeah, the crystals are on the other side of the river over there, and you can see it's a, a dot. If you enlarge it, you'll see it's like jewels and stuff. It's on the other side of the river. 
where there are dangerous tribesmen, lots of them, some of them mounted, some of them on foot, always fighting and really, really xenophobic, so they don't want to meet anybody else. And they told him, yeah, that's where the crystals are, but it's really dangerous, so we don't ever go over there, and we don't advise you to. And then the next morning, the guy was gone. But he was seen about three days later heading back. In fact, he headed back through the city about six hours before your NPCs got here. But he didn't go back through the city. He went around the city. That's why the people in the city couldn't tell him that they'd seen him leaving, except to go east. Other people can tell him if they go back and backtrack. But as the people in the temple find out that this guy was such an evil wizard and stuff, they're going to tell these NPCs, hey, you know, if you're going up against this guy, you're going to want some of those crystals. And you can use them to amplify spells. Now, how much you let your NPCs or your PCs or anybody amplify a spell, that's up to you. I would make the spell probably at least twice as powerful or twice as long-lasting or whatever. If you use spell points in your game, have it take half the number of spell points. Whatever the case, these crystals amplify spells, but each crystal shatters when you cast a spell. So you're going to want to grab up a bunch of crystals, probably at least the size of chicken eggs, according to the people in the temple, and use them to cast your spells. But it's damn dangerous. So you can figure out how dangerous the tribesmen are vis-a-vis -vis your PCs. You can figure out what kind of stuff they can get into. This guy's got a, well, by now he's got a, most of a, a whole day's lead on them. So... They're back to square one, maybe a little more caught up than they were, but they're going to have to go get the crystals, deal with the tribesmen, and then haul ass if they go after the crystals. They don't necessarily have to. But the evil wizard's got crystals, and he's up to some shit, so they may want to power up too. If they have any other adventures in this town, it will mostly be from curious people wanting to know about the outside world because these people are fairly isolated and you know they can have other encounters and things like that or they can come back here later on after the adventure's over and you know hang out with these people but uh, there you go it's an asian land they have to go to the temple they got to get some crystals whatever i hope you enjoy this i hope you run it and i hope you let me know how it goes if you run it and that is part four next week part five well folks as the guys on car talk used to say you've managed to waste a perfectly good half hour listening to this stuff but i thank you thank you for listening today folks and thank you for listening anytime you listen if you have any suggestions comments or questions i can be reached on facebook where i'm doc cross on wordpress at the docaverse blog now on Mastodon, where I am also Doc Cross, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com. If you are listening on Anchor, you can leave a voicemail, and you patrons can leave a message on my Patreon page, and I will find out about it quickly because they'll send me a text. If you'd like to support me via Patreon and hear these podcasts two months before they go up on Anchor, just go on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Doc Cross 
and you can pledge as little as a dollar a month or you can pledge $10,000 a month. And I guarantee if you pledge $10,000 a month after about two months, I will come to your house and do the show personally for you and only you. Just, you know, something to think about. Now, if you want to make only a one-time donation or maybe donate, you know, every once in a while when you think about it, then you want to use my Ko-Fi or Coffee page. That's K-O-F-I. And there you'll find me as Doc Cross 4591. And once again, you can pledge whatever amount you like. If you would like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it, get in touch with me by any of the methods I mentioned a bit ago. Our music was Adventure Theme by Sir Cubworth off of the YouTube Audio Library. This podcast and everything on it, except the music, is copyright 2023 by Doc Cross. I'll see you all next week. Live long and prosper.